we are continuing our series on pandemic life. And we looked at different aspects of what God has called us to do. And today we're looking at outreach. What does outreach look like during pandemic life? Is there something we can glean from scripture that will help us follow it? And we do turn to scripture. We turn to scripture because scripture tells us what God thinks about outreach, what God thinks about different uh, areas of life. And we lean on not only what he has told us to do, but also the way he has described it. And many of that's written in history. And you've probably heard the quote that, um, you know, those that don't study history are doomed to repeat it. And, and that's true, uh, especially in places that we failed. And, but Aldous Huxley says this, that men do not learn very much from the lessons of history is the most important of all lessons of history that we should look back at what God says. So in the area of outreach and in the area of doing outreach during a time of pandemic life or times that are not ideal, we should look at what God has determined and declared to us. And, and to do that, we need to look at outreach itself in a way that maybe you haven't looked at it. You see, outreach is a part of our discipleship process. It's a part of the way that God de desires for us to look like him. Um, it falls in the, in the category of sharing that we have laid out for you. And, and when we lay out our categories for discipleship here at the church, we do it in a way to communicate clearly what God desires for us as we grow to look more like him. But the problem with doing it that way is that they look like silos that are individual and separate so we look at outreach as if it's just share and not a part of serving or not a part of fellowship or not a part of learning from God's word and not a part of worshiping. But the truth is, is that they bleed over and they cross, uh, cross pollinate, they cross uh, each other's area so much so that it's, it, when you're walking in the Holy Spirit and when he's guiding you and you are obedient to him in outreach, you're actually worshiping the Lord. You're learning from the Lord. You're fellowshipping with other people and you're serving those in your family. And, and outreach is not a silo. In fact, maybe we should call it also outreach and also worship and also learning because you're not supposed to do each of these individually separate from the other. It's an also environment. In fact, many of us and, and some of us do this and you've probably experienced this. We look at one area of discipleship and we, it, it, it invigorates us and it moves us in such a way we say that's it that's the magic pill that's the one if we would do that all the time then we would follow the Lord that's what the church is missing which to some extent is true but it in it of itself alone is not true you need all of it together there is no magic pill to discipleship it's a life change and a lifestyle that you are adopting and so when we get to outreach in the pandemic life, what it does is the pandemic life allows us to strip away those unhealthy things that we might have added to outreach and added to other parts of our life and get back to the basics and the fundamentals. And pandemic life gives us an opportunity to highlight those things so we can get back to what really, really matters. It's much like high cholesterol, you see, there was a time where um, I didn't have to worry about cholesterol, you know? It, it was great. And, uh, but as you get older, your cholesterol levels happen to go up because maybe you had some unhealthy dietary habits, right? 
One of the great things that's happened during pandemic life is I've taken on the challenge to discover some new things. One thing I wanted to do is I wanted to learn how to make bacon in the most ideal way possible. And let me just take a moment here just to think about bacon because it's so unbelievably delicious. Listen, many of you at home have no idea what bacon is supposed to taste like. You've been cooking it wrong. And I'm gonna give you a little bit of instruction. But if you take a little bit of time, you can learn how to cook bacon in the most ideal way. In fact, it's very important that you let it simmer slowly in the grease that it is cooked in. And you wanna keep it flat as possible. When it starts to curl up, the fat doesn't render the same way across the entire strip of bacon. And can I say this? Thick-cut bacon is so much more superior than thin-cut bacon. And some of you have been putting bacon on racks, and you've been drying the thing out, and it's like you're eating a meat crouton, which sounds delicious, but isn't necessarily the most delicious thing, because bacon can be more delicious than that. And it goes from being an addition to a breakfast to an item that you look at on your plate, and you think, man, why is this not a part of every meal during our day? And can I say something else about bacon? Is that bacon is so delicious, you can cause your to fall into a situation where you eat too much of it and it affects your cholesterol and it leads to an unhealthy life. And if you had known those things back when you were healthy, you could have taken steps to enjoy bacon for a lifetime instead of having to give it up for a period of time, which I don't think anyone should have to do. Maybe you shouldn't eat 19 strips of bacon at breakfast. Maybe one or two is fine and throw in a grapefruit because your body responds to grapefruit in a positive way and it allows you to participate and eat more bacon later. Again, I've spent too much time diving into bacon, but you need to know if it were not for the possibility of high cholesterol, I wouldn't have learned how to cook it in the best way possible so that I can enjoy it when I do participate in having it. You see, that's what the pandemic life does to our areas of discipleship. It strips away those unhealthy things and we look at the way that we should be doing it. And that's what we're gonna look at today. We're gonna get back to the fundamentals of outreach. And I think there are three fundamentals that are key at this time where outreach, regardless of if it's during pandemic life or if Lord willing, we get to go back to being healthy again and living in a communal, civilized state, you will hold on to these truths. So this is the time where if you're sitting on your couch or you're sitting at your table or you're just watching this for some reason, you said during the worship service, I'm gonna work out the whole time because I'm just sitting around too much. This is when you get out your notes because there are three steps that we're gonna look at and these are very important and foundational to outreach. So if you're ready, Number one, generosity is good. Blew your mind. I know it. Generosity is always good. Number two, the next step, stress is sometimes good and necessary. Stress is sometimes good. And number three, evil is bad. And that is good. Evil is bad. And that is good. So let's start with our first one. Generosity is always good. You see, generosity is a distinctive of Christianity. God acknowledges generosity often in scripture. And he expects it of us. He even, Jesus Christ, when he gave his first sermon 
he mentions generosity very specifically in the middle of his sermon in such a way that it's very important. So in Matthew 6, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings this up as he transitions from going through the Old Testament law and he gets into how we should behave now. He specifically mentions generosity. So in Matthew 6, it says this, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, specifically what he's talking about, this practicing your righteousness, it includes giving. It includes generosity. It includes what's called almsgiving in the Old Testament. It's where you give from your own abundance to those that are in need. And it's seen as a sign of worship. But it doesn't say practice your righteousness in, or do not practice your righteousness in front of others. That's not what it says. It says do not practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. That to be seen by them is the purpose statement, the reason why you would do that. So there's a failure there. It's not out of faith. It's not out of loving kindness to God. But instead, it's for others to be able to glorify you and steal the worship from others. So there are many people, I think, in our church, and there's many Christians out there that think that if you uh, present or share what God has done in your life and you share it publicly, then automatically it steals the glory away from Jesus Christ. That's not true. What is true is if you are sharing those things publicly in such a way that other people, or so that other people will say, whoa, Kevin Goldsmith, we are so lucky for you to be on our staff at Grace. In fact, we are so grateful for that. You know what? We need to put your picture up in the hallway. I don't know. So that people can walk by and touch it with their hand and possibly worship. That's a terrible idea. It's terrible to do those things outside of faith. There has to be a level of faith and love. God goes on to talk about this uh, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, when Paul says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Jesus warns about this in Luke 11. He says, but give from your heart to those in need and then everything will be clean to you and for you. You see, uh, it's about your heart. It's about that uh, generosity is always good if it originates in a heart that is worshiping the Lord, not worshiping yourself. And so the motivation for those things are very important. Generosity is always good if it's done as an act of worship. You see how it bleeds over into discipleship? That what you learn and the way you worship God is the way that you share in outreach? There are people in Scripture that were seen as incredibly generous. And I'll bring up two here to you that you might not realize. You see, in the middle of Acts, in Acts 9, uh, Peter is uh, sharing Christ. And he's doing the ministry of the Lord. And when he gets to Joppa, in verse 36, there is a lady named Tabitha. And she was, it actually says this about her in Acts 9, 36. 
She was always doing good and helping the poor. And about that time, she became sick and died. Her body was washed and placed upstairs in the room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two women to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went up with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs in the room. And the widow stood around him crying. And you know what they were doing when they were crying? Listen to this. They were showing him the robes and other clothing that she had made while she was still with them. Those clothes were not clothes to build up her wardrobe and her garments so that she would look different and be presentable to be accepted by men. She made those clothes for people that needed clothes. Her time, her effort was seen. And you know what Peter does? Peter sends them down. He got down on his knees and he prayed and she came back to life. And God used it to share with others. You see, her reputation was built off of her generosity. And Peter recognized it and God recognized it. In the next chapter, you see another man that's described as generous. Chapter 10, Cornelius. In verse 2, it says, He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. He becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. And Peter recognizes that God has sent him to him because he had been God-fearing and his actions were generous. Meaning that God recognized him and approved him. Three times in that chapter, they mention his generosity. You see, generosity is always good. And generosity, worshiping the Lord with the right heart, points back to him. And so, it is important to know that generosity is good for others. But it, did you know it's also good for you? This is probably a study I didn't have to read. Because... I've experienced this. But being generous improves your happiness. Now, if you are sitting at home during pandemic life and you're experiencing unhappiness, I am going to give you some tips on how to experience happiness. Number one, generosity is always good. Be generous. This study says that over four weeks, they took two groups. One's an experimental group that would go out, or experiential group, and they would go out and spend money intentionally on other people and needs for four weeks. The other group of people had to spend the exact same amount of money on themselves. When they came back, there was a much higher and significant level of happiness in this experiential group than the ones that were isolated and spent money on themselves. Not only that, but it changed their brain chemistry. In fact, there's a part of the brain called the temporoparental junction, the TPJ, and it was much more active in those that were going out and serving these results demonstrate that the top-down control of the activity plays a fundamental role in the linkage or linking commitment induced generosity with happiness. But not only that, the study goes on to say that happiness 
or human societies benefit from generosity and their behavior. That the people that receive the generous gifts, they also increase in happiness that prolongs and actually changes them. Generous Generous behavior is costly as it involves the investment of one's own resources for the benefit of others. So not only that, but whenever you give of something that's costly to you, it increases your happiness. Isn't it amazing that God wired us this way? He wired us in such a way that we, when we act generously, which is a part of his character, we perform in the way that he designed us. And such that we experience joy. If you are not experiencing joy in an increased level of happiness, it is possible, it is possible that maybe you should look at participating in outreach and being generous. Because that's how God's designed you. It's amazing that people remember others when they are there for them. I was reminded of this two days ago. Two days ago, I received a text message from, chain from people that I worked with over 10 years ago. And these people, as they were sharing memories, I realized that there was three of them getting together in the backyard at 10.30 at night on Friday night. I was up because my hours are just absolutely destroyed right now. I don't know when I sleep and when I wake up. And I was alert at 10.30 at night. I'm texting with my family because no one's following the rules of the sunshine anymore. I'm going to bed at 12.30. I'm waking up at 7.30, 7 o'clock some days, sometimes 5 in the morning. I'm all over the place. And I was up that night. And I did something that a 40-year-old should not do. I decided to leave the house at 10.40 p.m. at night to go see some friends in their backyard. We kept social distancing. We were across from each other. I brought my own chair so I wasn't contaminating other people or being contaminated by other people. And we got to share that night and talk that night. And one individual actually said, to me, you are the only person that showed up at our house when we were engaged to celebrate. It's amazing what sticks with people, and that brought a sense of happiness. Later on, he said, you know what? You're the one that started that Bible study at Panera Bread on Lemon Avenue with us so that we could learn about God and learn from the Old Testament. I still have never learned more about the Old Testament than what you taught that time. It's amazing how when you give of your time, and give of your efforts, and you're generous, that it's seen as good, and people are able to worship the Lord. I want to encourage you to take steps of generosity during this pandemic life that will be foundational to if we do return, we go back to worshiping the Lord that way. Number two, stress can be good. Stress can be good. I recognize that there are multiple types of stress. There's good stress, you stress. There's acute stress, which is temporary, but it hits, and it's not good. And then there's chronic stress that you build up to that is disabling to people. But there is a way to slowly bring that back to the good stress, and I want to share that with you a little bit. But the truth is, is when we do outreach, we should never expect the ideal conditions. In fact, I'm not sure if it is outreach if we expect ideal conditions to be able to do outreach. It has to involve sacrifice and a step of faith. 
It has to involve sacrifice and a step of faith. And we can look at Paul's life and we look at the stress that he experienced to be able to share the goodness of God and we are blown away that at the end of his life, after everything that happened, he says, it was all worth it. There has to be some level of discomfort for you to be able to participate. He goes through a list of this in 2 Corinthians. And the context of this isn't to share the stress, it's to share why he's worth listening to in a language that other people seem to behave so that they can understand that he is worth listening to about the goodness of who Jesus Christ is. And in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 16, he says, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool. So that I may do a little boasting in this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would but as a fool. So he goes on to say, I'm going to speak to you in this way. And then he begins to describe what he's experienced. Paul did not speak at Pine Cove camps or the perfect ideal greenhouse situation to be able to share Jesus Christ. He spoke in a place that he was chased, flogged, imprisoned, stoned, whipped, hit with rods, shipwrecked multiple times, lost. He was in danger eight times in this passage. He experienced no sleep. He was cold. He says he was naked. And then cities blocked off borders to capture him inside there. And then in verse 29, in the very next, uh, at the end of the chapter, he says, who is weak? I don't feel weak. All these things did not wear him down. They strengthened his resolve. In 2 Corinthians 12, as this continues, verse 10, it says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's not his strength, it's God's strength. You see, we should expect opposition. We should expect hardships when it comes to outreach and taking those steps of being incredibly generous. The reason Paul was able to do this is because he set a goal. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, it says, After I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. In Hebrews 12, it mentions this goal. It mentions this pursuit for the prize. It, it, it's not that he would obtain salvation. He's already had that. It was that he would obtain a reward because he's doing and serving the way that God has designed him to serve. The interesting thing about this is studies reveal stress is necessary for happiness. You have to encounter stress to be able to experience happiness. Ideal conditions are rare and should be, we should expect stressful situations. The study reveals reducing stress is a common theme in many of the approaches to happiness, but it's hard to be content when you're anxious or feel under pressure. Yet, oddly enough, one great way to be happy is to consciously put stress on yourself. According to research published in the Journal of Happiness Studies, people who work hard at improving a skill or an ability definitely experiencing stress in the moment, but also feel greater happiness on a daily basis. 
and over the long-term joy. So we need to step into something that's uncomfortable with outreach. In fact, if you are not uncomfortable in outreach, I would guess that you aren't prepared for outreach. I've heard people say that they feel nervous and hesitant when they share Jesus Christ. Can I say you should? You should feel nervous. You should feel hesitant a little bit because there's a real opposition against you. So how do you change that bad stress to that good stress? Number one, you need to change your perception. You perceive it as a challenge instead of a threat. Number two, focus on the resources you have to meet the challenge. What's interesting is I've met with counselors and others as they meet with people that are in anxious states and they need therapy, they need counseling, they need to talk to someone. And one of the things they do to help them focus on the resources they have is they make them focus on what they perceive and can control at that moment. They ask them to close their eyes, take off their shoes, scrunch their toes on the carpet or the floor, and they say, what do you feel? Do you feel that? Can you crunch your toes? What does that feel like? Is it soft? Is it hard? Is it cold? Is it hot? Put your hand on your hair. Rub through your hair. That doesn't work for me, but it might work for you. Rub through your hair. What do you feel? Is it soft? Is it coarse? Is it tangly? Is it combed out well? Do you feel warm? Do you feel hot? Do you feel cold and cool? Take a deep breath. Blow out slowly through your open mouth. How does your breath feel across your teeth? Helping them focus on the things that they can control. What resources are available for them? This allows them to get out of that state of anxiousness to perceive what we are doing. This is the exact attitude you should have in outreach. You should have in daily life as you worship the Lord. You should focus on what you can actually control. Next, you need to perceive the potential benefits. Because the potential benefits are there and you might be ignoring them because you're focused on yourself. Many of the people that accuse the church say the church never did this. They never reached out. They never called me. They never checked up on me. That's what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to take that step of faith in a potentially dangerous situation or at least hostile or at least uncomfortable or at least worrisome and trust God. So how do you do that? You have to consider your gifts. What can you do? Consider your limits. Consider your desires. What do you want to do? And then set your goal. Setting a goal is what Paul did and that's what we need to do and start striving to it. So what are your gifts? You should do outreach within your gifts. Are you a writer? Maybe write a letter. Are you, are you a good with building physical things or creative? Make a gift for someone. Are you compassionate, empathetic? Send a card that reminds you of that person so they know they're cared for. Are you diligent? Then check in regularly with people that are lonely that have confessed they are lonely and check in on them. You see, acts of kindness like this can grow into incredible ministry outreach opportunities. 
In fact, we had a young man. I say young, he's a little older than me, and I like to think of myself as young. But he had the opportunity to be able to share at Texas Instruments to a hundred different people. And what he shared was from Randy Newman's book, If God, Then Why Are These Bad Things Happening? And people wanted to hear him out because he had built that reputation over years and years and years and years, and they came for that gathering. I could tell you story after story of bankers, lawyers, real estate people at our church that are using their gifts and trying to add more purpose to their life to be able to look like Christ. What can you do? What can you do? Consider doing those things. So, number one, generosity is always good. Number two, stress can be good. And the last one is this, evil is bad. And believe it or not, that is good because it puts a highlighter on the goodness of Jesus Christ. You see, evil is an expected opposition to our Christianity. Obstacles in the church are inevitable, especially when you do outreach. It's unrealistic and impossible to think your faith wouldn't be challenged by life's trials. In fact, life's trials give evidence that your faith is a real and spiritually real, supernatural existence. There is no way God can allow you to experience his grace without experiencing the opposition's opposition. In Matthew 5, verse 16, the same Sermon on the Mount that we started this sermon with, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before men, and it's not to be praised by others, but that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. When Jesus says on this rock, that statement of faith, I will build my church, the very next lines, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The expectation that Jesus has here is that the gates of hell will try to overcome the church and the faith that they proclaim, but it will not work. Jesus acknowledges this is a real opposition and you're gonna experience it. And Satan loves to change the language in your head about what's true. He loves to work on your mind. He loves to make you think that you have no gifts and you can make no effort and you're not worth serving him because you failed. And that could not be more untrue. You see, the words you say to yourself in your mind and the slowness of which you respond to his leading is a lie from Satan. But you should trust the words that God says about you, that he loves you and that he sent you out, and he will be with you. You see, our faith actions plus our faith words equals offering of hope to right now a hopeless situation. The pandemic life has given us this big blinking sign that the goodness of God, when you act in generosity and sacrifice to others, it looks incredibly different than what their experience is in the world right now. And it offers them hope in a way that they might not have been able to perceive it. Do things that reveal God's goodness because right now they are even more clear. So what will you do? What will you do? What goal will you set which challenge will you make for yourself and which challenge will you accept? Because I believe God desires to use you now 
in such a way that makes the goodness of God so clear. If you're moved at all to, and you have thought of someone from the past or someone you know, write that name down, pray for them today, and tomorrow reach out in whatever way you're gifted and continue that because these are the foundational elements of outreach. Let's pray. Father, you are good and we are grateful for your love. We are grateful for your peace and we are grateful for the way you demonstrated, displayed, and work in us because you did it first, Lord. You demonstrated that generosity is always good with your life on this earth. And you demonstrated that stress can be good sometimes too by putting yourself in situations to make clear to those people that were opposition and those places that did not receive you that they too could reach out to you and accept you in faith. And you revealed more clearly than anyone else that evil is bad and that is good to declare who you are. And that's never been more clear on the cross. And Father, as we walk in life, knowing your resurrection will lead to a resurrection of hope for all eternity, allow us now at this time to follow you faithfully, worshiping who you are. It's by your son's name we pray, amen.